Hello everyone and welcome to another uninformed handball hour. We are in December and that means the start of the international tournaments beginning with the World Championship for Women and then the men's EHF Euro. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Women's Handball World Championship today, also a little bit about the Champions League, but we have a big discussion coming up later on, which I'll let Alex introduce in. But first, introducing the boys, Alex Kulesh. Hey, Chris. Uh, Brian Campion. Hi, Chris. Hi, Alex. So, well, should we start with uh, the most recent thing that we actually saw each other in, or at least two of us saw each other, me and Brian, briefly in Alborg last week because we were on site for what I thought was one of the most exciting games of the season so far. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. Um, really, really great atmosphere and just an absolute uh, classic uh, game, you could almost call it. And uh, the first time a Danish side has actually beaten Kiel, if I'm correct, which was a, a pretty impressive feat in its own right. You seem to be having so much fun, Chris, that you lost your voice commentating yeah last couple of minutes were a bit uh, a bit dodgy so well that was the atmosphere's fault you know yeah. that was well, that was my own fault for having the atmosphere up so high and then like forcing my voice to follow that all the way and then uh after about 58 minutes it, it caught me out so it went really low then and that managed to cover most of it but uh, but, it, but, it's, but it's a sign of a good game yeah, isn't yeah. it yeah well, you did just have your 12th birthday, Chris, so your voice just broke at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. But yeah, great victory for Alborg over Kiel in a game which, also speaking to Danish journalists and people in Alborg before, they weren't that hyped about. I mean, the, the occasion was really big, but they were missing quite a few players, like in particular their center block, René Antonsen, and Jesper Nielsen, also Aaron Palmerson out. So a lot of people were saying like, ah, yeah, we'll see how long we can hold on to them and then maybe rotate the bench. We'll focus on the league game against Giogi on the weekend. But I, I only thought about the Montpellier game earlier in the season where they had a similar situation and then smashed Kiel. So I felt they had a chance. I do feel a bit sorry for uh, Philip Yeeke on the, on the sideline because I've never seen him in my life looked more agitated and I feel like he seems to be wearing a lot of the stress in public I think Sasha mentioned that also he joked about that on, when he was on and I think he's maybe feeling a, a bit of the pressure I wouldn't say I mean I wouldn't say they're, they're, he's under pressure for his job now at the moment I wouldn't go quite as far as Alex did in the past but uh, hmm. uh, he definitely seems to be frustrated with how they're they're playing on occasions and uh yeah, I kind of I, when I was at the game, I kind of never really felt. I kind of always felt like, to a certain extent, that Ke- that uh, Alborg, actually apart from early in the first half, that Alborg were they seemed to have a bit more of a, a bit more petrol in the tank. Yeah, as you said, it was very surprising. I think probably to everybody that uh, even with the players are missing, even though sometimes you look at them playing w- without Aaron Parmesan and sometimes need to even play sometimes a bit better without him for some reason. Maybe he's, he still needs to 
to find his feet there in some some regards. But because um, that that was the same when I saw them playing against Eged. When Aaron was off the court, sometimes you looked. Ah, this is the old Alborg a little bit. When he comes on, sometimes it doesn't quite click as well as I I thought it would. Yeah, even in the arena after the game, talking to some people, they were surprised by so many things. And you'd say to them as well, oh, "That's the first time uh, a Danish team team has ever beaten Kiel," and they're like, "Oh, is it?" And they were <laughs> like, they were so unprepared themselves for the for the game, they weren't even realised the historical context of it. Great, another great match to add into the the season of unexpected results, I think. But I think that's a it's a really good point about uh, Palmerson that he changes the way Alberg play, and it was really you know the Alberg of last year that just clicked, and they just worked. The team just knows exactly what each player on the court is going to do, and especially when Nikolai Leso is just bombing them that they play pretty well but he he has his on and offs i think the real benefit of palmerson will come let's say in the later rounds in the playoffs in the league or in the playoffs in the champions league where you can put him on and he'll be the difference maker but i think alberg have to figure that out and potentially use them use him in the same form that barcelona did uh, because they did use him, even though he started most games, they used him as an impact. It, they had a game plan around him at specific points, which would just break other teams. Right now, I think Alborg are trying to really integrate him fully, and that might not be the the best way to go uh, this season, especially when they look so good um, playing their own style. And they also... they. They really did a good job on the seven against six at the end of the game. That clinched the game for him, even without any line players bringing on Valdemar Hermansen. (laughs) He scored two goals, didn't he? He scored two two from two. two. Yeah, brilliant. And him and and Benjamin Jakobsen, who is usually like the, you know, the impact substitute. Um, Like you have like a, uh, one of those big forwards in rugby who comes in for the last 12 minutes uh, to fill in as a prop. He kind of does that. Um, he had a fantastic game as well. And yeah, I was just really impressed with how Alborg managed to uh, score the easy goals. Like it was those, it was that second wave counterattack goals, the, the goals immediately after conceding that just kind of like killed off a bit of momentum for Kiel every single time because Kiel would go and, and score a goal with whatever effort they needed to, but then Alborg would go and get one back almost immediately. Um, they seem to have learned a big lesson from the first game, which I think is the big difference between the two teams on that occasion. Uh, they only played each other a week before, and Stefan Madsen definitely learned a few things from that game. And also, perhaps the worst set of goalkeeping performances I've seen at that level ever. I was so bad. I mean, I think no, the, both sets of teams were fewer than 20% saving percentage, which uh, I don't think I've, I've seen at that level before. Um, really not a good day for the goalkeepers, and uh, particularly for Nicholas Landin against the Danish team. Uh, he was 18%, Dario Quenstedt 10%, Mikael Agaforge 15%, and Simon Gull with 15% as well. <laughs> <laughs> made it a, made it a fun game but actually watching yeah. that game i had to put on the dual screen on uh ehf tv to have mm. the kielsa barcelona game at the same time so i was kind of switching in 
between the two, depending on how the game was going. But I think really we can't go a podcast without mentioning just what a miraculous job, not a miraculous job, but what an impressive feat Kielsa have achieved by beating Barcelona twice in a row. Away, yeah. um, that was an incredible performance where they really, they actually controlled the game. They, they played at their fantastic speed. But again, in this home game, I think everyone expected Barcelona to come in and just show that they're still the big dogs. And that's what they did for about 45 minutes and then completely fell apart. I don't know why this Kielsa team is just something special right now. Do you think this is just everyone's catching Barcelona now a bit at the at the right time? I mean, if you're ever going to beat Barcelona with this early stage of the season, not be the time to beat them when they have had a coach who or when they've been working with the same coach for for about twelve years, and you now have a coach come in with a different way of doing things, and the, the players have said it themselves, we're going to need a lot of time to adjust to this, and even with that big massive change, they're still really pushing teams but then kind of things fall apart maybe the last 10 minutes for for whatever reason do you think when they iron out these these jinks that they will return to their their old selves in, in a different way or am i not giving enough credit to kelsa i think um i think you're actually overestimating barcelona a little bit because i don't think they've been as good this season nowhere near as good and i don't see a really clear route to how they get to the same level that they were before because they're I mentioned that they're still missing a left back the you know Ali Zayn Langaro are not are not Aaron Palmerson um, and Gessan as well they're just not firing right now they're not contributing enough and they they, they were missing Sindrich which I think could be the link to get them firing again but I think this season Barcelona have relied on Gonzalo Perez of Vargas way too much. And I, I tweeted just before yeah, they, can, they can lost we, the game. Can we just, <laughs> can we just like uh, address this? <laughs> this pair of tweets. Seeing as uh, Brian and I were busy at the other game, only one of us could have tweeted this. <laughs> and uh, at 19.59... Handball is a simple game. When Perez de Vargas makes saves, Barca win. 2015. Handball is simple. If it is minute 59 and you need a goal, give the ball to Alex Nishimaev. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I, I want, I kind of, I thought of a better Alex Nishimaev tweet. Uh, that it should have been handball is a simple game. 14 men run around for 59 minutes and then Alex Nishimaev yeah. scores the winner. Think that that would have been a better one but basically it's uh, i've had this thought this season that barcelona have been fully reliant on gonzalo perez de Vargas' performance and he has been incredible so he i think a, apart from maybe three or four games this season he has made a kind of above 14 saves he's been absolutely incredible and barcelona have won every one of those games when he's playing at that high level the issue is when he doesn't play at a high level, that's when their losses have come. They don't have, they're not dominating to an extent where they're not bailed out by the goalkeeper. And it seemed in this game, up to a minute, maybe 45, that De Vargas was making saves. He had 
uh, 11 at the point that I tweeted and Barcelona were in full control. But then he stopped making saves and Barcelona fell apart, which means that there, there's something wrong with them. They're, they're too reliant on a good performance from a goalkeeper to get wins right now. That wasn't the case. That was almost, let's say, a bonus at the end of a season or it was a bonus in a game that would make the difference between a 12-goal win and a, a three-goal win. But right now, they're fully reliant on him. And yeah. when he stops making saves, they, they just crumble a little bit. And it, at this stage, I wonder if it's becoming a mental thing where they're fired up by um, De Vargas's performance and they themselves play better. But when goals start coming in, they seem to fall apart a little bit. And that's what happened. Kielsa just kept running, running, running and broke through. And Alex Dushabayev was absolutely incredible, including that ridiculous move uh, in the last minute where he, he had nowhere to go. He had players in front of him. He took a weird shot that always goes in at that moment. But there is a caveat that I think there was an offensive foul. <laughs> when that happened but not let's not ruin a good good moment a good story and a good night for the Kielsa fans for Barca we also have to consider that there have been a lot of changes uh, over the summer and maybe it's not the worst thing for them to not be playing so amazing at the beginning of the season and running away with the group as they have in previous years just to to falter uh, later on but it, it definitely seems like a transition period for them uh, just quickly looking at the other like big stories of the group so far and Montpellier top of group A on 13 points which is really uh, uh, for me that is probably the almost as big a surprise if not even more of a surprise than Kielce at the moment and uh, even though it's a softer group overall it seems very even group A and we have to give Montpellier a lot of credit also considering how poorly they're doing in the French League I can't remember where we put them at the start of the season. Do you remember, Chris, uh, when we ranked them? Did we put them mid of the group for a finish, I think? Yeah, I think I was think they were in the middle pack. It was like Seged, Kiel, and maybe Alborg in the top three there. Yeah, it is kind of the group of surprises in a lot, in a lot, of, a lot of ways because we have the, the Montpellier, Montpellier top in the group is a, I think, a big surprise to almost everybody. Um, some of Elverham's performances were huge. And then I think Brest's season so far has just been I think nobody expected they would be that bad and uh, and then of course the biggest handball story of the whole year is also coming out of that group that uh, our good old friends Zagreb have won their first game in the la- in uh, what was it 750 years so congratulations to Zagreb <laughs> <laughs> I ha- it, watch out for Zagreb you know they're only one point away from Vardar for that sixth spot to qualify I had them as my surprise they're they're yeah, look, it's their last season in the Champions League, so they're going to be <laughs> no, but like pretty. I mean, they're not going to be in it. They're not getting the automatic spot next season, so uh, yeah. they're, they're going to be really pushing for it this season. That's incredible, isn't it? But I, I'm I'm yeah. proud of what Zagreb have done, and they've they've reclaimed a bit of pride for Croatia. They're no longer a disgrace to the Champions League. That that title goes to Meshkov Brest. Absolutely yeah. disgraceful. Yeah, I have a feeling. I mean, there's been some murmurings which are not worth mentioning. 
uh, at this point. But, uh, you know, some really big things could come out of this whole breast story this season. Can't say any more on that at the moment. We'll uh, we'll see as time goes on and uh, if breast can, can salvage anything from it. Anything else in the Champions League? Uh, just to say, let's say that both groups are still open. It's yeah. looking really good. Um, I think only Meshkov Brest are the team that may look like they, their season is over. Even Flensburg have climbed climbed the table with their, you know, seven players that they have available. Um, it's pretty amazing. Anything can happen. I'm looking forward to the the, the final rounds of these groups. Very good. Now, uh, before we go into our Big discussion in the podcast, uh, which uh, I'm still not going to tell you about. Alex will shortly. Uh, we'll look ahead to the Women's World Championship, which starts uh, this week in Spain, in this lovely sunny southeast of Spain, which I'm going to be in for the next couple of weeks, uh, covering it with Streg Spiller. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more, I think, as the championship progresses, because, you know, for me, I'm still not sure at what point this tournament really begins. Uh, it's 32 teams involved, something we saw in the Men's World Championship in January. But, you know, it's hard to see whether the women's competitions are actually uh, ready for it yet at this point. And interestingly enough, when the HF were celebrating its 30-year anniversary there last week there was uh, some interviews with uh, Mikhail Wiederer in which he made a an interesting point where women's competitions seem to follow the men's four years later in Europe so the big decisions like having the EHF final four uh, it was the men first and then the women's came four years later and uh, it's also the case with the expansion of the EHF Euro to 24 teams it's happening for the women four years later uh, the IHF have rushed into it with the women's competition with 32 teams. And, you know, when you look at teams like Iran, uh, Uzbekistan, Congo, Paraguay, and Puerto Rico, given the fact that COVID is still a big thing, and also in some of these countries as well, there's just been a complete lack of pre-championship uh, preparation for them, or even in, in some cases, a uh, proper qualification route. And I do worry that for maybe half or even more of the championship, we're just going to have a lot of whippings. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to compare it exactly to the men because there were some cases with COVID that took some teams out. So you had like Cape Verde, for example, didn't get a chance to to show themselves, but it meant that we had some really weak teams in the main round. And uh, my fear here is that we may not get a proper game for most of the teams until the quarterfinals. God, I'm really pumped for this now, Chris. Thanks very much. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> You've really sold this. <laughs> no, it's, I'm not saying it's going to be like no. that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying I'm worried. No, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely a good point. And when you do look at some of the teams there, when I was going through the groups, I was like, I was trying to pick out. Uh, a group of debt and, and the easiest group and I was kind of looking at them I was like well that's quite easy as well and uh, it was quite hard <laughs> quite a hard task to pick out the group of debt which I narrowed down to group A in the end but yeah not not the easiest because some of them are really cakewalks I think group A mm. is probably 
That's that's a real group. That that would be interesting. Gr- yeah, but big time. Looking at Group C, for example, where Norway are going to play Kazakhstan and Iran. Sorry, Norway and Romania with Kazakhstan and Iran in there. That's just going to be. And I, I actually most of the groups end up being two good teams, two fairly poor teams. Like Norway can just maybe play their full second team for the whole group and get away with it if they want to. Also with no Christina Niagu in the Romanian team, uh, she's taking a break. That's another thing as well. I mean, uh, it could provide uh, the counter to this is that it's the first major championship after the Olympics, which often means that teams are rebuilding uh, and there could be a bit of randomness in that and could level the playing field a little bit but not enough. And um, I mean, also when you look at the African teams, Angola, I think they won the final of the African Championship by 10 goals. So th- there's really a big disparity uh, between them and the rest. And, you know, at the Euro in 2020, no matter what, like even though the, the, it was a fairly level playing field, the fact that only two teams qualified from the groups of four made it like a, there was real jeopardy at the beginning. That's not the case here for the most part because three teams qualify for the main round. Um, group A, as you said, I think would be really interesting. It's France, Montenegro, Angola, and Slovenia. Um, France, as Olympic champions, uh, should be like clear favorites montenegro not looking so great at the moment they were uh, heavily beaten by sweden a few days ago angola particularly at the beginning of the championship uh, can match any european team they kind of fade as the tournament goes on and uh, slovenia you're never too sure what you're going to get with them they can beat the best team in the world one day quite as easily lose to angola on another day so one one of those teams will get knocked out which will be a big story but besides that, yeah, it's really hard to... I mean, the, Group B is another one. Germany, Hungary, Czech Republic, and Slovakia. But Slovakia, are, I think, are the are safely the, the weakest of those four teams. And I think also just the, the main round format in this as well, it, it means that there's going to be quite a lot of weak teams that actually get through to the main round as well. So, you know, one of Tunisia and Congo will be in the main round one of Puerto Rico or Uzbekistan will be in the main round. One of Kazakhstan or Iran will be in the main round. So that it kind of dilutes the main round as well with games mm. that really don't matter. Um, and I suppose if you're going to do a tournament like this, maybe just have a big knockout, um, full knockout format to, to run through it. But to get a team like, you know, Puerto Rico, let's say, having especially um, the lower teams who have to play extra, you know, who might have a limited squad and are playing extra games. It's It might just get worse and worse. We might have one or two uh, good performances from these lower ranked nations at the start. But we know historically that lower ranked nations don't have the squad. They suffer from fatigue a lot more than the bigger squads. And it, it might become even worse and worse and to have a main round game that finishes 60 15 you know we're, we're not yeah. you know we're not out of the realm of that of possibilities so yeah it, it might be a bit too much tell you what though the president's cup is going to be lit 
Going <laughs> absolutely on fire this year. Imagine that. Four four players turn up from Paraguay. That's all they've left after a bit of COVID <laughs> versus <laughs> 12 Congo players. <laughs> okay. Well, look, as long as we don't have any COVID problems like uh, at the, the Men's World Championship, that uh, I'll be happy enough with that. But, um, I mean, the looking at the main round as well, not... No one to look too far ahead, but there is also like a, a golden opportunity for a team coming out of groups G and H to qualify for the quarterfinals um, because you have Croatia, Japan and Brazil, the likely teams to come out of group G and then Spain and Austria out of Chris, group H. Chris. Just group, you know, <laughs> it's a big chance here for one of those teams to make it through. We'll talk more about that next week. I, th- I think we can uh, gradually build ourselves into this tournament uh, <laughs> as it goes on. Uh, yeah. Focus on the the nice storylines that I'm sure will come out of this tournament as well. Yeah. But uh, where, where are you going to be, Chris? What's your travel plan? Uh, going to Loria. Uh, I think that's going to be the the main part. We're going to be based in Valencia which is kind of in the middle of a few of the few of the venues but Luria is going to be the the focus at the the beginning for the the preliminary round and then on to Granollers from the uh, main round onwards nice little winter break for you mm, it's like 20 degrees at the moment yeah. good Pick up a bit of omnicrom while you're there as well <laughs> for the year for the year that's in it <laughs> Is the, what is what position would Omnicron play in the handball court? I think he'd be a line player, would he? <laughs> no, no, nothing stopping him. Like, <laughs> is, is there going to be fans at this tournament? It's all full. Yeah, uh, they're allowing up to eighty percent capacity. Uh, well, which... good, good luck, good luck with that. Getting eighty <laughs> yeah. percent for a lot of these. Games. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, I'll, I'll hold my judgment on that. Um, yeah, we'll see how much the Spanish public react to it. It's the first time they've had a major women's championship, so uh, remains to be seen. Right now, I think we should go into the big discussion. And that is anointing a World Player of the Year because we've realized that the IHF Player of the Year is just never going to come out. (laughs) And that is a terrible process anyway. So we've redefined the rules a little bit and will now try to, between the three of us, present the 2021 Men's Handball Player of the Year anointed by the uninformed handball hour so we're completely we will do the women yeah in january the reason why we're skipping and i'll go into details of why we're formatting like this the women at this stage is because of the world championship that is taking place in december but we are looking at the 2021 calendar year in this case um the last ihf world player of the year was anointed in 2019 and that was Nicholas Landin. And I think it was announced basically at the start of 2021. So we're not going to wait around for another two years. Uh, J- J- July, July 2020. <laughs> July 2020. <laughs> we're not going to wait around for, for uh, another year for a player of the year to be announced. And we will break it down and see who was the best player in 2021. So included in this ranking we have 
we have the men's world championship that took place in Egypt in January. Um, Denmark came out winners there, beating Sweden in the final, and Spain got a bronze medal there. We also have the Olympics included, uh, one of these years that's a little bit more special for handball. So the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, um, which France surprisingly won, beating Denmark in the final, and again, Spain got themselves their first ever handball Olympic medal and got a bronze. We're also including all of the club championships, which concluded um, before the summer in the Champions League. It was Barcelona that reigned, beating Alborg in the final, and PSG got the bronze medal. Of course, all the league championships, all of that's included in these metrics. And you're welcome to include um, performances from the first half of this year. Uh, in your rankings and the way we have approached it is each one of us has looked at the one major competition in the year 2021 with Chris looking at the world championship and presenting his top three players Brian sifting through the hours of footage of the Olympics to get his top three players there and I've put together um, the best performances at club level, uh, including Champions League and the leagues, presenting my top three performers there. Looking at all that, we're going to compare, see what's most important and try to pick um, the best player in this calendar year. Everyone know the rules? Everyone happy with the yes. rules? Ready. So, Chris, you, you do seem ready. So give me your pitch for... 2021 player of the year based primarily on the world championship set the scene it was a cold january for most of us but in the egyptian desert with no fans and despair as covid tore through the championship early on there was one true breakout star a man who shot an incredible 83 percent his name was Gauthier Mbombi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but we just, you know, if, if this year deserves uh, a special recognition or that goes to Gauthier Mbombi, we, we can't forget his contribution to this handball year. And he uh, does have a clothing line out now. Uh, with the shack of handball so make sure to check amazing. that out and get get yeah. some shack of handball merch uh, and just remember those stats by the way 83 percent, 20 goals out of 23 shots as i go through the the actual players i've non- nominated here all right nomination number one uh it's one of the obvious ones and i have a feeling he might come up elsewhere uh matthias gitzel because the, he was it was his true breakout at this championship uh he was in the all-star team at right back he offered Denmark something that they they hadn't had in years, really. It was a, a proper right-back player who was also a brilliant playmaker in his own right. 39 goals at 80% and 27 assists on top of that. He was, you know, when we look back at Denmark in January, we were all expecting Emil Jakobsen to be the, the breakout star for them. 
out in the left wing. He had to wait a little while, but Matthias Gitzel just kept impressing us over and over again as the championship uh, went on. And we thought, okay, he hasn't really been tested yet. Uh, maybe it's just because he's playing against some of the softer teams, but no, he really delivered. It was a great championship for him and for Denmark, of course, who, who won gold. Frankis Marzo is my second nomination. And I think that that look on your face, Alex, is something of uh, either surprise or approval, uh, maybe a bit of both. And uh, I'll take that. And it's really hard to look past him there. 58 goals and 27 assists. He was he was a man who single-handedly uh, dragged Qatar through that championship before they were knocked out by Sweden. Uh, just a brilliant performance. And it left us all kind of sad that he was leaving European club handball. Uh, afterwards because clearly with performances like that at the world championship he had a couple more good years left in him and uh, I was just really happy that he got to to showcase that for a a guitar team that kind of changed uh, a lot of our 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 thoughts about Qatar as a handball nation in quotation marks uh, and a handball team we kind of softened uh, towards them most of us uh, and then my third nomination it was a tough choice between two Swedes um, who we have to remember sensationally got to the final uh, it was between the playmaker Jim Gottfredson and Hampus Vanna and I think both of them could pop up elsewhere but I'm gonna go for Jim Gottfredson on this occasion because besides the final where he was shut down well and truly he had an amazing tournament and had an amazing season that 20 uh, 2020 21 season but that world championship was a, a real highlight for him where at times he just looked completely unstoppable 24 goals 36 assists which was the second highest at the championship and so i'm gonna give him the nod as my third nomination so you're omitting Mikkel hansen from your nominations even though it was really a double act between hansen and gissel right yeah that is correct but you you don't i'm getting there's only three spots for his uh, red card no. <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm yeah i agree it is because of that red card and that fact that he almost single-handedly uh knocked denmark out in the quarterfinal against egypt no, it's because I was only going to pick one from one country or from each country, and Gidsel for me uh, had to be the man. Okay, okay, I th- that wasn't part of the rules. Wasn't part. You're very welcome. I oh, know my own personal <laughs> rules, <you know. laughs> but I think it's it's worth commending Hansen's performance there. And surprised to not see an Egyptian name uh, in, in your nominations. Yeah. There, there is. Uh, Brian Campion's favorite breakout star that, that yeah. had a really good um, tournament. Uh, the night is young, <laughs> so we can, the list can be changed. Is that what you're saying? No, the Olympics are yet to come. Ah, <laughs> well, no pressure, Brian. The, the night, the night is young, isn't really the best introduction for me because we're moving next to the land of the rising sun. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for an uh, an amazing tournament, which I enjoyed so much, uh, and I saw, I'd say I didn't miss a second of it. So, and I I went back through all of the footage again, as Alex said, every single game in preparation for this list, and uh, I, I narrowed it down to 
four players and I want you guys uh, Chris and Alex to pick my third spot because I, cu- I couldn't decide between these two no surprise in its top three we have another Danish duo which Alex uh, touched on just a minute ago which these two powered uh, Denmark uh, to the final in Japan an easy one has to be of course uh, Matthias Gitzel who picked up MVP uh, of the tournament and as Chris said in his breakout year to pick up MVP of the Olympic Games in the same year I think is is pretty incredible uh, on its own right he scored 81% of his goals 46 46 goals from 57 shots um, and to his left on the court we had the top scorer in Mikkel Hansen of the tournament who would be my second in second position his fourth goal of the game against Portugal uh, made him all-time top scorer of the Olympic Games so that was another milestone another feather in his cap uh, along the way but I, I wouldn't put him in first position in my head because he how many goals did he miss he scored 61 of 100 so his actual shooting percentage in some some games maybe wasn't uh, the best. He actually had the second worst shooting percentage of the top 10 top scorers. Only my my main man, uh, Yaya Omar, uh, outdid him uh, with uh, 38 goals from 63 shots, you know, because it's just the pressure on Yaya's shoulders of being the breakout star seven years in a row, I think maybe gets to him. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I think I think definitely uh, I think Hansen had a better World Championship than Olympics. Um, but you mentioned that shooting percentage. He also, you know, takes a lot of penalties. So um, actually, from the field, he, he had a worse game. Um, a, a lot of maybe poor games. He still dictates a lot of what Denmark do, but. Um, I think in this case, uh, from my perspective, Gissel um, was the real um, gem for Denmark in that tournament. The third position now is a tricky one because you look at Alexi Gomez's stats as well. 44 goals from uh, 47 shots, which is bonkers for, for anybody. Uh, that's 94% shooting percentage. But then you also have Vincent Gerrard, who is a man who just only decides to play handball once every five or four, four or five years. And this was one of those tournaments where he decided he was going to start playing some handball. He faced 236 shots, which is way more than um, anyone else uh, on the top 10 go- goalkeepers list. So you look at that goalkeeper list, he's actually quite far down. He's in sixth position. But then you look at all the shots he faced. He faced 236. The next closest would have been Landine with 196 Um so uh, he was really playing a lot of handball uh, in Japan and uh, came away with 31% on the, uh, as a saving percentage, but was key in them uh, lifting the title. So my question to you guys is, do you go for Alexi Gomez or do you go for Vincent Gerard? What do you think? Well, I think you, you have to have a French player in there. Um, and Gerard just, uh, the, the, that performance in the final was truly one of the best goalkeeping performances of all time, I think. And, and you know, at, at the semi-final in there, he just, he he was a man possessed and it was incredible to see. For, yeah, I, I would put him, I, I think. Gomez is like a bit of a weird player in the sense that he he scores a lot of goals, but it seems like that's all he does. Uh, and of course, that's the role of a winger, but <laughs> there, there's something... Yeah, 
I know it's difficult for a winger to be kind of a best player of a tournament, a best player in the year. And we're maybe seeing it with Dylan Nahi, how he kind of transcends the position a little bit. We've yeah. seen before with Abalo a little bit, but I don't think Alex Gomez is is quite in that sphere. Yeah, I'd agree. Vincent Gerard. Good. Any other French players? I, I think probably worth mentioning uh, Remily in, in yeah. that uh, mm. conversation because he took over that uh, playmaker position for France, which we all thought was their weakest thing and wouldn't work. But he, he had an incredible tournament. I think he dictated um, in his own way um, the, the, the great performance from uh, France and just the real real su- surprise to the world that uh, France won that championship. Would, would, would he have... Would you swap him out with Mikkel Hansen? I don't know. Like, looking, you know, Hansen still scored 12 goals in the semi-final against Spain and then mm. was probably one of the only players that was playing well in the final with, with nine goals. I, I'd, I'd keep Hansen in there, probably. So then a fourth close place to finish for Remily, probably. And it is worth mentioning as well, um, Matthias Gitzel was incredible in the tournament, the MVP of the tournament, but he got shut down in the final. When France put Karabatic on his side and mm. really, you know, we were asking, you know, what, what's Karabatic doing at this tournament coming off an ACL? It's that. He's still able to put in a performance and, okay, Gitzel still scored six six goals in that final, but it, it didn't have the same flow. Yeah, that, that says a lot about France's impressive performance, I think, in that, uh, in that final. Uh, the fact that they were able to shut him down. Okay, should we move on to the club handball now? And uh, it's an all-encompassing one. Alex, what have you got for us? When you look at the club handball season or the year um, within 2021... You know, the, there was quite a lot that, you know, we had an incredible Champions League campaign. We're excluding, in this case, the um, delayed Champions League Final Four that happened in December. So mm-hmm. since we're not uh, anointing a 2020 Player of the Year, that uh, falls into the abyss. Um, so we exclude that. Um, but we had an incredible Bundesliga season. I, I just look back at it and... It came down to a last-second equaliser from Miha Zarabets to clinch Kiel the title um, against Flensburg, a crocked Flensburg team. Um, in France, we had PSG win as always, but Montpellier pushed them a little bit. Um, it, it was a close one. In Denmark, Alborg were really pushed by um, Matthias Gizel's Geoge right until... Uh, but they did squeeze out uh, a win in the final that got them that Champions League spot. But there's really one team to talk about when we're talking about 2021, and that is Barcelona. They won every single game. Oh, that's well. No, actually, when we're talking about the calendar year, <laughs> they, they have lost a couple now. But at the end of that 2020-21 season. Um, they may have been the best team of all time. 
they dominated everywhere. They, they of course they won all of their domestic cups and leagues. That's you know that's not a big um, boost for them in this, but the way that they dispatched the Champions League in twenty twenty one. Um, was incredible. So it's hard to look past the best players on that team. And for me, I have chosen two players as my nominations. I will also have an honourable mention um, for Jim Gottfriedson, um, who did drag a Flensburg team through the season um, with their, you know, 10 available players and almost clinch that Bundesliga title. But you, you have to look at the best team and you have to look at the best players on on that team. And for me, it came down to two players. The first was Dika Mem, who I think really had his breakout season to the superstar level. So, <laughs> of course, we all know who Dika Mem is, but many of us, including me, uh, doubted whether he had the, the full chops to be the man on a team and he really showed that uh, in the season he was the fourth top scorer in the Champions League with 92 goals but uh, that's only three behind uh, Valero Rivera um, in the first spot at 95 he was also I think he got 31 assists in the Champions League he was dominant absolutely dominant and uh, a pleasure to watch but the other player, I think, has potentially uh, a better case, and that is Gonzalo Perez de Vargas. As I mentioned previously in this podcast, that when he's making saves, uh, Barcelona win. And the the reason why I'm putting him the best player um, in club handball, and maybe this is too narrow, um, but his performance in the final four, where he had 14 saves in the semi-final um, to get Barcelona past Nantes and then 16 saves in the final um, where Barcelona dominated uh, against Alborg. Um, really kind of brought it all together and we saw him at the highest level there. And one stat is the one that kind of pushed me away from DKMM and that was that Gonzalo Perez de Vargas scored more goals in the final than Dikamem. <laughs> <laughs> so De Vargas had three goals from three shots, while Dikamem only had two goals from three shots. <laughs> so, oh, I love that. <laughs> for me, it comes down to the two of them, because I think uh, Dikamem's performance throughout the season is the reason why Barcelona um, won everything. He, he really was an unstoppable force, in within this unstoppable force that Barcelona were, uh, and but it was Paris de Vargas that made the big performances in the Champions League final four to um, give them the title uh, at an easy saunter in the semi final and the final. And of course, Paris de Vargas has also had the third highest save percentage in uh, the Champions League that year. Looking at kind of some other players. Mikkel Hansen has had the weirdest season because he was fifth top scorer with 88 goals, but 51 of them coming from penalties. <laughs> and if you remember last season, Mikkel Hansen 
didn't really play for PSG. It was Luke mm. Stein's team who took over. So I, I can't really put a finger on any other player who impressed as much as Mem and uh, De Vargas. Kiel uh, got knocked out quite early, although they did win uh, the Bundesliga. But those two men are my nominations. Thinking about players that might have impressed to that level, I think if if two games had gone differently for them, i.e. Champions League final and the World Championship final, players that we did talk about like being at a level where they, they were at one point or another the best in the world, Felix Klar and Lucas Sandel, really close to that. It feels almost too early to be including them in this kind of discussion, but really two players that... Uh, I could have broken into that, uh, but we're unfortunately on the losing end of, of big finals. Just one thing on Gonzalo Perez de Vargas. It's so funny that like at the end of last year, we were kind of, we kind of found it funny that Kevin Muller was the number one at Barca in his last season. And Perez de Vargas was kind of pushed down the pecking order a little bit. And we were like, oh, he's kind of the forgotten man. But turn turn of the year and into 2021, it really changed for him. And uh, yeah, he had an amazing campaign. And uh, now, as you were mentioning earlier, they rely on him so heavily. So uh, an interesting chat there. Yeah. And I think additionally that the start of this season, which still falls into the 2021 year, has seen um, well, Deacon M continue to be a dominant force, um, which is great to see. And um, De Vargas just taking it to another level. But a good point on Felix Clare there is, is I think if you add everything up, he's he looks really good. But in the end, uh, th- there's a lot of finals losses to his name. <laughs> yeah. But you do have a free position. You know, you only pick two. So, I mean, you could put, you could put it to him in his third. <laughs> I, I, I did give uh, Ian, Ian Godferson my, my third spot for okay. just dragging Flensburg through the season. Okay, so at the end of it, we have two times Ian Godfrey'son and two times Matthias Gizel, or Matthias Gizel. Uh, to soften those D's, I've been told. Uh, <laughs> Gizel. <laughs> Matthias Gizel. <laughs> uh, then also Frank Ismarzo, uh, Mikkel Hansen, Vincent Gerard, Deacon Mem, and Gonzalo Perez de Vargas. Now, how the hell do we decide a winner? I think it's extremely difficult <laughs> i think we need to get rid of okay oh yeah no we need to just get rid of the weakest and work our way up but marzo i forget about him right nice 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 little comment chris but he's, he's not gonna he's not gonna win world world handball uh not from handball or player of the year bricks he's not so we can get rid of him straight away right cutthroat right? i'm gonna go through this now all right go on go on <laughs> he's gone right who else is in there i think you can get rid of john jim godfrey as well i mean he's He's very good. Top three, but he wasn't. He's not going to be number one. So we can already forget about him, right? Yeah, I think we take out any of the Swedish players because they all <laughs> lost uh, when it mattered most. Despite all having great seasons, uh, they all lost at the key moment. So they, they can't be player of the year. I think you can okay. honestly probably take out Mikkel Hansen as well because he, while he is top of the scoring charts, uh, uh, the scoring lists and stuff like that, I mean, he did have a very good world championship. Um it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of penalties, as uh, as Alex said, and he's not the same Hansen as uh, bygone years. While he's still very, very good, I just think I don't know. I, I wouldn't put him down as player of the year in my head. And you got to get rid of Deacon Man because he's not even Alex's first choice. Exactly. 
So, I, so I we've been serious so, progress there in 40 seconds. <laughs> I think DKMM has a bit of a... I still, I'd like to keep him in because while he didn't get nominated, but he did still win the Olympics and the Champions League and was probably True. the main player. Well, that's, that's because there was one man ahead of him in both the World Championship and the Olympics All-Star teams, and that was Matthias Gisel. So hilariously, we've come down to two right backs and two goalkeepers, <laughs> which once again underlines the two most important positions in sport. I think. Oh, oh well, well, well. I think. <laughs> I think you can probably get rid of Vincent Gerard as well because he, while he did a very good Olympics, he is with club. His club performances are all over the place for the year, so I think we can probably cross him off the list as well. I'd agree with that. So what we're saying is, Gauthier and Mumby is still in the mix. <laughs> I'm, I'm just He's inconsistent, at least. Yeah. And he brought out that, clo- that clothing line as well, so that's that's a that's a yeah, win as well. That's a big plus. I I just find it very difficult to see to give the Player of the Year award to Matthias Gissel for ca- taking in his club handball, which is a, a large part of the year. So I think you know we we do have to. It depends on how you weight this, and usually these competitions are weighted heavily on the international competitions but he he like okay the, he was still very good in the danish league um they really put Gege pushed Alborg to the very end and didn't win anything in denmark uh, of course it's a weaker team and then also fairly mixed performance in the european league so it, it is a large part of the season that they, yeah they would they did just get knocked out like by the narrowest of margins in the quarterfinals of the European League, though, to be fair. And now they're doing very well in the European League. And Gizel has... And he seems to outperform as though when he plays more goals. with world-class players as well. So we can't hamper him too much because he plays with a middle-of-the-road club. Oh, yeah. So let's, let's take this in. Already in the European League this season, Matthias Gizel has scored 50 goals. Very good. <sighs> I just <laughs> <laughs> Alex's face you can't see it he's struggling <laughs> I just find it hard to give it to him MVP of the Olympic Games and World Championship gold medalist 80 and 81% scoring from the backcourt in both competitions and dozens of assists and it's his first major year. Yeah, I think that aspect as well alone, that he was an unknown player in uh, more or less in 2020. Yeah. That the breakout year, MVP of the Olympics, doing really well for his club. And what was, how many goals was this year, Chris, again? In the 50. European League alone, Brian, yeah. 50. 50, my but God. That's wow! I'm surprised you know, the two of us agree here. That's, 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 let's take it. Take everything in here. You know, Paris de Vargas, Champions League, won everything, won every game. Also, two bronze medals in the major championships. <laughs> you know, that's 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 uh, that's a disimprovement on 2020. If it was a 2020 and 2021 year. And making up for the IHF not awarding one 2020, I think I'd agree with you. However, the last winner was a goalkeeper, Nicholas Landin. He 
However, there hasn't been a non-French or Danish winner since 2013. <laughs> but that can't be held against Matthias Gitz. So, so I, think, I, think, I, think, I think Alex, I think, you, I think you have a little bit of a of a Danish bias here. You're just like he probably just lives up the road. I'm not voting for him for that. I need something <laughs> a bit more, something a bit more exotic than a GOG player. Yeah, I, I just yeah, maybe for me in this case it probably makes sense with the two competitions that he was so phenomenal in. But usually, I just I hate how much weight there is to the international competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, where kind of a full season and the majority of the games that a player plays is ignored. Um, we, we are talking about two major competitions though in one year. Yeah. And it's hard to argue with Giesel's club performances, even though they are at a lower level. He still- Although you'd say the Danish league is a higher level than the Spanish league. <laughs> We're not getting into that. Yeah. Not, that's, well, that's Aaron Palmerson's words, not mine. <laughs> but Alex, he scored 50 goals this season so far. That's, that's, that's 10 more than 40. Think about that. <laughs> and he throws the ball really hard. So I think we should just give it to him. He throws the ball really hard. So, so uh, Brian, what are you saying? I, uh, Matthias gets the first place uh, best goalkeeper of the year. Paris de Vargas. <laughs> <laughs> Second place, Paris de Vargas. All right, Matthias Gissel. <laughs> Woo! Re- re- reluctantly. God, you have to really twist your arm there for that one. With reluctance, I can... We can put a star beside crown. it. <laughs> put an asterisk beside it. Uh, Matthias Gissel, uh, Unaformed Handball Player of the Year, with reluctance. And now we look forward to our two-hour interview where Alex explains to Matthias Gissel why he wasn't the best player of the year. <laughs> Coming up during the European Championship next month. <laughs> he is an incredible player he is an incredible player we should give it out to the uh the public as well to have them uh share their views which we can talk about in the next podcast so on twitter and on uh, instagram we'll uh we'll put out some polls for you to exactly. share your favorite player of the year from 2021 and uh but our unofficial world handball player of the year goes to matthias gizzle we'll leave it there Thank you, Alex, for bending over eventually. Uh, that was difficult. Uh, thanks for the support. Uh, we supported each other, Brian, saying as we both nominated him in our uh, suggestions. And we'll be back with some uh, World Championship chat very soon. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.